Hello, Dave. How Hello, are Matt. you doing? Uh, you know, uh, okay. It's, um, I'm okay. How are you? Okay. Same. Uh, yeah. Gone to a couple protests. Uh, and, you know, we're here. We are. We, we didn't here do we an are. episode last week. Uh, I think first time we'd ever not uh, put something out, but obviously, right. um, it felt like the right thing to do. We were kind of at a loss as to what to do this week and uh, talked about going dark again. But we did want to release this interview with Michael Yuri, which we recorded a couple weeks ago because of um, the pride plays and what he's doing is, uh, is, is it does, does kind of speak to the moment. And I think people will be interested in that. That's right. Pride plays uh, are happening during Pride Month. As a matter of fact, the one that is airing tonight, June 12th, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, is a play written by a, uh, a black, queer, uh, HIV-positive playwright named Donja R. Love. The play is called One in Two. It's directed by a black uh, female. Um, we're trying to figure out exactly what the streaming link is. Uh, there's info on rattlestick.org. Uh, there's info on playbuild.com. It's a little bit confusing in the uh, in the manner of all streaming uh, events, but we're going to get some clarity on that, and we'll put it on uh, our Twitter feed at Homophilia Pod. Yes, uh, so that you can watch. Um, and in the meantime, you know we are, as ever, committed to uh, bringing diverse voices to the table. It's a good time to start elevating and amplifying other black queer podcasters. Uh, which is um, long overdue, and a thing that we're yeah. gonna do. Yeah, we're working on it's it. It's hard to know exactly what to say in this moment. That's right. There's uh, I, I, maybe we just get out of the way and let Michael Yuri talk because he is uh, such a such a love and such a light and a joy, and uh, at the very least, people can. Um, you know, sit back and take a little break and enjoy the um, delight that is Michael Yuri. Exactly. And in the meantime, until we see you next week, put your bodies out there, wear your mask, keep a distance, but uh, hit those streets. It's important. That's right. Uh, we love you all. Yeah. Here's Michael Yuri. Michael. Hello. We're so, so happy you're here. Finally. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. I've, I've heard so many wonderful things about being in this seat, although it is my seat technically, but. True. Um, True. <laughs> a seat in a, in a cozy space full of memories and dog-eared books <laughs> and windbreakers. It's like the coziest looking spot. Oh, thanks. This is the back are of our, well, so this is our apartment in, in Manhattan and this is our little back nook. We have, yeah. um, we have, we, we found this like kind of, we got really lucky. We found this apartment um, like 11 years ago that is a one bedroom, two bathroom, which is wow. like an impossibility in New York City. And there's a, like a home office, which we've turned into here. I'll just show you. I mean, oh, yes. So there's a little, that's our home office, but we put bunk yeah. beds. So it's like a whole extra, oh, a whole, cute. and then there's our extra bath, 
bathroom. So like, this is sort of, we call this the North Wing. And it's really <laughs> quite small. It's not a very big area, but we have all of our books. And it's become my office. So my partner works up in the front of the apartment, which is like bright and has all these lights, uh, all this sunlight and, and the animals usually gravitate towards him. And I'm kind of back in the nook. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a, a little ring light. Great. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what you're doing, Michael Yuri. You do. Oh, uh, you know. And two bathrooms really is the key to a successful relationship, isn't it? Oh, the, the simultaneous pooping has saved us. Being able yeah. to be on the same schedule <laughs> like that yeah. has made such a difference. Um, I, we can't, we really couldn't live on any other way. I mean, it, you know, like I'm sure we'd figure it out, but anytime we've ever thought about leaving this apartment, we can't imagine having less than two bathrooms because we've just gotten so used to it. And especially when we have guests, I mean, we haven't had a guest obviously in three months, but, um, when we have a guest, you know, it's, yeah. you know, I mean, that's just, it. what, uh, has your quarantine been, uh, been like? How have you been? Pretty good. Um, you know, uh, like I said, we have a lot of windows and that has helped a lot in Manhattan because we don't have an outdoor space. So, you know, we uh, uh, we we do get a sense that we have a lot of windows and they open, you know, like six inches and we get a real sense of, of the outside world um, without having to go into the outside world, which is really nice. Um, but uh, uh, but it's New York and we're in a big building. We're on the seventh floor. So we haven't taken the elevator, uh, in three months. So our butts look great, but, um, but we don't really like encounter people. Um, and when we do it's, uh, and then when we're in, when we're out walking, out walking the dog or biking, or when we go to the park, you know, it gets, gets crowded because especially on a nice day, the parks just get swarmed. And, um, and that's a little stressful. Um, but in our little cocoon of the, in the apartment, it's really nice. And we're used, you know, we're actors. So we're used to having downtime or filling our days with stuff. And we have been really busy. I mean, we, we did early on in the quarantine, we put on a show in our living room. Uh, this one man play that I did called Buyer and Seller, which we, we, we remounted in the living room for uh, Broadway HD. I mean, uh, Broadway.com. And, um, and, and since then, I think we sort of opened the floodgates and people are like, well, they'll do it. They'll do it. They'll do anything. And, and so we've been doing a lot of like play readings and, and, uh, workshops and, and, and so we've, we've been really busy, which is great. Um, and, and I think way better than the alternative of not being busy. Um, but I do also find, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I do find like a little work in quarantine feels like a lot of work. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like an hour yes. on zoom feels like four hours on zoom. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely. exhausting. I'm convinced it's also because you, we're all staring at ourselves that entire time and really processing like, Oh, this is what I look like when I'm <laughs> sitting in a, and just grieving that for me. I mean, um, yeah, totally. <laughs> but yeah, it's draining. It's very draining. But it's also there's a balance because having something to do makes the day go by. So you gotta yeah. have that. Yeah. What about entertainment and uh, what, what are you like watching right now? Well, we just finished Dead to Me oh. last night. 
the, the second Thoughts? season. Yeah, I haven't started second season yet. How was it's it? It's like, oh, it's candy. It's candy. Ugh. I love season one. Season two is even better. Um, Linda Cardellini and he's uh, um, like, I'd never really seen her before. And I'm completely in love with her. Christina Applegate, I've always loved. My partner's obsessed with her. So we've devoured it. It's really great, and the, the, the and, and the little boy, uh, her younger son, um, we call him Michael Yuri, because well Ryan immediately said that's you, Michael, and so we call him Michael Yuri because he's got floppy hair and um, and he's sweet and silly, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. Ryan said that's just like you. Oh, so how cute. we're super into it. <laughs> okay. I'm excited to catch up. Yeah, yeah I did not even see season it. one. Oh, it's definitely it worth it. We've also like gone back and looked at some things like um, we'd never watched The West Wing before. So we, we started at the very beginning and we, we didn't we haven't finished it because there's so much. But we've been watching that off and on. Um, there's a great show that Ryan had never seen called Slings and Arrows. Do you know that show? Oh, yes. yes About yes, a Shakespeare yes. rep company in Canada. That's just delightful. And for nerds like us who do Shakespeare um, so, so fun. And there's so many wonderful references. Um, we're also in two movie clubs, um, Ooh. in quarantine. We're in one club with two other couples that meets once a week. Um, and, and we watch, uh, we don't, we, there's no real like rhyme or reason to what we watch. Uh, this week we watched, uh, I forget last week we watched children of men. We watched Body of Evidence with Madonna. We've watched oh a few God. really... And, and the other two couples are straight. Um, and we keep watching these like really sexy movies, which is interesting. I don't really know what to make of it. Is Body of <laughs> um, Evidence but, the one where she is with Willem Dafoe? Yeah. yeah. Right. Where they show... All, ev- there's Everything. so much sex. And yeah. we watched the director's cut, so there's even more sex. Um, she shows every. I mean, she shows everything. And there's and there's a frame where you can see Willem's member. Yes, I remember Ooh, a frame where he, he they are having sex and he's they're not, but he's not wearing a modesty. Uh, That's uh, right. Thing. He's not wearing a sock or whatever. Right, right. And and it was one of the straight guys who saw it and then said, "Everyone, pause and go to this frame." I'm just saying, quarantine brings out okay. the gay in us. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, um, we too have been doing some remedial, uh, movie watching and last night finally watched Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Oh, how have you seen that? No, it's really worth seeing it. It feels, it feels very modern. It feels like it could have come out last year and Natalie Wood is, is, is so luminous and Diane Cannon, though my partner did point out there is so much, uh, Kellyanne Conway in Diane in a young Diane Cannon. <laughs> oh my god. Younger Diane Cannon. Uh which is upsetting if not if if wow. true. Gosh, I, I see Diane Cannon and a um we were in the same hip hop dance class at Equinox for a long time. It's just reliably every Saturday morning. Wow. Oh, I love it. You know, yeah, love, and that so, hair sounds so great. Yeah. Um Michael, what was the last Broadway show that you saw before the end of the world? The last Broadway show I saw was part one and two of The Inheritance. Oh, right. Yeah, by Matthew Lopez. Yes. And? I mar- marathoned it. Really beautiful. I mean, really, really beautiful. And 
and and and and and people were you know i uh i was in a show that closed a week earlier um from than that and and um and that last week people were already getting anxious about the virus um and there's that interesting thing that happens in the theater where like people cough you know like the coughing in the theater i don't know if it's so if you're so hyper aware of it as an audience member but like as an actor on stage you're really hyper aware of coughing in the audience and especially in a play um and i was noticing in the last week of the run that i was in on broadway that people were coughing less and when people did cough um it was the, the the energy in the room changed yeah because and i think that people were coughing less not because um they they were not because they were uh, there were less sick people but because people don't really need to cough when they cough in the theater they're just doing it because they're uncomfortable or bored or whatever or it's you know like you can there's other ways of like of not of of alleviating that pressure yeah. like you know like a soft clearing of your throat or swallowing or whatever you know like it, it like the, the coughing cough uh, an actual coughing fit is is one thing but the general like audience member cough is uh is is actually not a necessary cough and i think that as people became so um worried about coughing and didn't want to cough didn't want to be like shunned for coughing they suppressed it um and i noticed that at the inherent i mean i i saw shows that then that, so at the week after i closed i spent a week going to see shows and then i went to la to shoot something that we never shot but um that week when i was seeing shows i noticed it too there was very little coughing and when there was coughing the entire area would would tense up recoil Lord, <laughs> exactly man. Yeah, so that was the Saturday before I left town, and then the last show I saw was Little Shop of Horrors, um, oh, wow. off Broadway, which was off Broadway, which was also really really good, and 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 that one that was a much smaller venue, and I remember really feeling that that sort of like anxiety of being around people and 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 not hugging, like running into people and not hugging, you know that was that had begun. And then I went to L.A. because I was to shoot a pilot and uh, I, I went early uh, to relax and chill out, but also to like quarantine on my own so that I would be well for the pilot. So I wouldn't get sick and have to and screw up the pilot. And I got there and I and I sort of self-quarantined for a few days and then the NBA canceled and then Broadway canceled and then our pilot got got canceled. And so I came home. Okay. Yeah. And how, what's, what's the street scene like now? Are people wearing masks? Are people keeping their distance? I would say, um, I would say 85 to 90% of people wear masks in New York. Um, it's right. pretty good. Um, and I would say that uh, people are also, ba- I would say like, you know, 50% of people really keep their distance um and uh, but the masks kind of have kind of it's sort of like people are sort of doing one or the other um i will say parks are tricky um as i mentioned like walking in a park is really tricky uh we bike a lot so biking is not as it's easier to like keep your distance on a bike and people keep their distance from you on a bike um but you know the streets are much more populated than they were a month ago but pretty empty 
but you know, New Yorkers are New Yorkers are are cool, and they're they're not they're not they're used to they're used to like uh, crowd control already, and they're used to like crisis management already, and there is this thing about like like being all amongst one another and having to deal with one another that I think. Uh, lends itself to this kind of, I mean, obviously people are frustrated and stressed, but I'm not, when I'm on the street, I'm not feeling that tension uh, amongst each other. You know what I mean? I, I directed at each other so much. Um, I'm not seeing that. Uh, people are, people are being cautious and respectful. But what's so crazy is like, you know, like three months ago, if you were walking down the street in New York and someone took a wide a, a, you know, like a, a wide distance around you, took like a, 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 a wide girth, you would be like, what's the deal? What's, yeah. what's your problem? And now you're like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you grew up in Plano, Texas, right? That's correct. Which is, I think, also where uh, John, John Benjamin, Benjamin Hickey. Hickey is from, who we That's just right. interviewed. We went to the same um, high school. I'll be oh, is that right? Yeah. We had the same teachers. It's wow. not a huge city, right? It's a big suburb. It's not a, right. it's not a major city. Uh, it's a suburb of Dallas. Um, but it's, it's a big suburb. And, and um, my, my graduating class was 1,500 kids. Really? It, uh, oh, so right. the school was really big. Um, but they, what they do in, in, in Plano is they separate 9th and 10th grade from 11th and 12th grade. Uh, because of really because of football, but it, 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 it's a, it's a sort of benefits all the extracurricular activities because when you're a sophomore, you like participate. Um, so they, and then, and then when, when you're a senior, you're, you've had all this experience as opposed to like, you know, being on the bench as it were. Uh, and, and that works out for all, all of us. I mean, that worked out for me in theater. I got to play the captain Von Trapp when I was in 10th grade. So Nice. <laughs> but it, but some senior that, didn't steal that from you. Yeah, exactly. Um, but because of that, it's an enormous uh, graduation. I mean, my graduation was in a giant. It was in Moody Coliseum at SMU, which is this huge stadium, uh, basketball stadium. And and George W. Bush was governor at the time, and he spoke at our graduation because it was the biggest one in in Texas. And um, yeah, so so I didn't even know. I didn't even know the people I was sitting next to at graduation. I'd never even seen them. Um, but uh, it is a relatively, uh, you know, like it's not a, it's not a major city in Texas, and uh, and a lot of people. I mean, a lot there are a lot of people who uh, who've come from Plano that I run into in in show business, and Texas in general. There's a lot of people who get out of Texas, and 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 follow follow the uh, footlights. Uh-huh. What, what other shows uh, were a part of your high school drama career? Well, we Sound did music. Sound of Music. Uh, my, scene, my, my, my sophomore year, my, my freshman year, we did Fiddler on the Roof. Ooh. And that was my fir- the first time I was in a, in a show. Um, I was Sasha the Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to just be, I wanted to be, be a director then. And, and, and so uh, the, the teacher let me be the assistant director, but then we didn't have enough boys. So I had to be in the show, which was a smart move because as it was, she was not, the teacher wasn't great about uh, not casting people and didn't have girls play boys, which happens a lot in high schools. So our, 
opening number, which is, you know, the opening number of Fiddler is tradition where the papas sing and then the mamas sing and then the, the sons sing and the daughters sing. The papas and the sons were really quiet. <laughs> and the mamas, <laughs> there were so, more, so many more mamas and, and daughters. Um, the stage was like, um, <laughs> so it was good that she made me be in it. Uh, we needed the boys. Um, but then we also did, um, and, and then when I got to senior high school, we did, uh, we did some really cool things. We did a Clifford Odette's play, Waiting for Lefty, mm-hmm. which is wow. like this really cool old group theater play. And then we did Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, starring Michael Benjamin Washington. I don't know if you know him. Uh, he's an amazing, he, he was my, um, he was a year ahead of me in school and he was, um, a genius and he's now uh also does a lot of theater and tv and stuff and he's in he was in the boys in the band uh, revival oh right uh, oh, and he's right. in the yes. movie yeah so he's another guy from plano senior high school who's gone on to, to to be an actor and um so he was joseph and then and then um he was super ambitious and he really wanted us to do angels in america um but wow. couldn't get it approved i, I know in high school uh, but it didn't wow. get approved. The principal wouldn't approve it. Oh, he was also student class president, by the way. This guy was what amazing. What a charm life. I know. And, 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 he, and so he couldn't get uh, Angels in America approved, but he did get Six Degrees of Separation approved. So we did Six Degrees of Separation in high school. Wow. Which is insane. And then we did A Midsummer Night's Dream, and we did a play by Tom Stoppard, and, and like, and, and, um, my t- and I was always so I was always also ambitious, and and so I would direct shows that we would that we did the Fantastics, and I directed it, and um, it was really cool. And all through high school, I thought I want to be uh, a drama teacher because I, I loved it. So I loved high school. I loved doing drama in high school so much, and I, I admired my teachers so much that um, that I really like thought this is this is a career path for me. And I could be, I could, I could become a teacher. I could make plays. I could create seasons and I could even act in them maybe, or like act locally. If I, if I'm teaching in the suburbs of Dallas, I can do plays in the theater scene in Dallas. And that's really what I wanted to do. And uh, I had applied to all these schools in Texas, these state schools to go, uh, to, to be a teacher, to be a drama teacher. And because I had been neglecting my studies to build sets and stuff, I uh, had a really lousy GPA, uh, had a really lousy um, class ranking, and then I bombed the SAT, and I got rejected to all those schools. And around that same time, I had been um, competing in speech and debate, uh, which is kind of like another like acting competition, uh, forensics and, and, and oral and terp, where we would like put together a monologue or, 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 or play all the characters in a scene or, or do a duet with somebody. And I was doing a poetry, com- I was doing a poetry um, excerpt, um, and I was, I was I, something that I thought was extremely serious and very dramatic, and I was playing it that way. But the audience kept laughing at me, and <laughs> I was like, "What are they laughing?" And, th- and there was all this stuff going through my head as I was reading this poem. I was like, "Why are they laughing? What do they find so funny about me? What am I doing wrong?" And they, but they were loving it. They were laughing and having a great time. And so I was like, "Well, maybe." Maybe this is maybe there's a way I can make this funny, and so I would sort of, I would sort of, uh, I, I would sort of like, you know, while I was doing it, I would like calculate what was fun. Why did they think that was funny, and can I do it again? And 
And what was it about that that made them laugh? And can I make that happen in this line instead? And by the end of it, they were howling. And then I won the competition. And it was that that sort of, I was like, I think maybe I want to be an actor and try that and be on stage instead of, uh, instead of be a teacher. And that, and maybe, and maybe I could. Maybe and that sort of gave me the the first time I ever had the confidence to think maybe I could do that because I'd sort of manipulated this performance based on these what these people wanted. And and that was around the same time that I didn't get into any of those state schools. So it was sort of this like this like the universe telling me that it was okay to not do that. Um, and then um, there was a community college in town that had been um, had offered me a scholarship, which was like, you know, nothing because community college is so cheap. Right. Um, but I thought this is all this is all making sense. And I can go and I can study at this community college and then I can figure out how to be an actor later. And so that's what I did. And then w- the craziest twist of fate was that after I made that decision and I was finally at peace and it's like the, there's like the last part of my senior year of high school and I was so happy and I was so at peace. Um, I took the, I had, you know, you, you know, the SAT and the ACT. Yeah. The I took ACT. the ACT only. Oh, really? Yeah. Ohio. So had, the, in my school anyway, SAT was sort of not on our radar. Oh, Weird. wow. So yeah. Yeah. all the way around for me. Wow. So we had to, I, I don't remember if we had to take both or if we had the opportunity to take both. I don't remember, but the ACT is like the shapes and colors version of the SAT. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I did really well on it. And, and then I, I suddenly got acceptance letters to all those state schools who were like, oh, you can come now because you did well on the ACT. We didn't wow. want you before, but now, now, now you can come. But I had already made that decision. And it was such a relief to like know when, when I got those acceptance letters, like, oh, no, but I've already made the right decision. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay with my parents. I'm going to go to community college. And then I'm going to figure out my life. And it was the teacher at the community college who, who urged me to audition for Juilliard. And I got in and I went to New York. So it was one of those like weird three-month periods where things were very uncertain and then suddenly became very clear. Yeah. And wh- what was life in the years between Juilliard and Ugly Betty? So I, um, I would... Temp. Um, I had a, I had I had an on, on again off again temp temp job. Uh, would, what agency? Would, um, oh my gosh! Great question. Uh, temp prof- temp professionals. I think it was like temp temp professionals. Okay. I think is what it was. And I had this really sweet lady who um, who was my my point person, and and liked me and uh, and would get me jobs. You know, it was a, one of these things where you had to wake up early. <laughs> like six in the morning and call and say, I'm, 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 I'm up, I'm dressed, I'm ready to uh-huh. work. And then you go back to sleep yeah. <laughs> and then, and then they call you and they say, okay, we need you at this place. You've got a job today. And, I'm, and you'd be like, okay, gosh, I'm in Queens. So it'll take me about an hour and a half, you know, like give yourself plenty of time to get up, get dressed and eat breakfast yeah. and everything like that. But I was the lowest of the low. All I could really do was answer phones. Occasionally I would get like a filing job, but I didn't have any skills, so I was usually just answering phones, and usually I was just filling a desk. I mean, most of the time, I didn't actually do anything. Um, occasionally, it would be like transfer calls, and if I was lucky, I would be at a computer that had the internet. 
um, and I could like surf the web. But it was it was super, and I would make very little money. But it you know it it filled the days. It was and something. I did some com- it was something. Yeah, it was it was something, and it was it was money, and it was uh, you know it, it went towards something. And I got a couple of commercials, and then I remember my first. My first really exciting job offer, I had auditioned for this play starring Austin Pendleton, the great actor Austin Pendleton, uh, at HB Studios. And it was this cool play, and I had this long scene with Austin, and I auditioned, and I got it. And my agent called and said, you got the job, Um, there's no salary, but rehearsals start. And I was like, wait, 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 what? No salary? And I did, I had no idea. I had no idea that I had auditioned for it. I think I got called back. I had been looking forward to it. It was the greatest call of my life up until that point when I got the job, but um, I didn't get paid for it. And it still ended up being a great job. And uh, I still think about how wonderful the experience was, but, but like that happened a couple of times before I finally, like I, I got a couple of no pay jobs in a row in the theater before I started to like actually um, get paid jobs and join the union. Um, and then, and then, um, my, my, I, I, I was, I would have a little, you know, like pilot season would come around and I'd have a little bit of luck. Uh, I would get, uh, I would, uh, there was usually like, I would, I would have ho- uh, several horrible auditions and then like one might work out. I got, I got a pilot my first year and the next year a couple were interested, but I didn't get anything. Um, and I had these reps who would say, like, we want you to stay available. Do not do anything. Do not, do, you know, we, we need you available because that big job is around the corner. And I always felt like the further I get from acting, the, like the longer it's been since I acted, the worse I'm going to be in these auditions that you say are going to make or break me. So I, um, I would always like take jobs uh, in theater without, you know, behind their back and, and, and I always, always booked other things while I was working. So it, it, it was like, it was, it was, it was very clear to me, like the only way I'm going to get work is if I'm already working. And, um, and that's how uh, Ugly Betty came about. I was, I was doing something for $200 a week or something like that off, off Broadway. And um, the casting director, a casting director stopped me in the lobby after one of the performances and said, that was really great. I really like you. And I remembered that, and I saw in the I was getting the breakdowns. I saw in the breakdowns that 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 guy was casting this pilot that was shooting in New York, and I was like, uh, I asked my reps. I said, "Can you get me this appointment?" And uh, and that was Ugly Betty. So it was it was uh, it was it was definitely like it, it it didn't take that long. It was it was two years after I graduated. No, three years after I graduated uh, from Juilliard. Um, and, 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 but, but the, the pilot of Ugly Betty was just a co-star. I was, I was not a series regular or even a guest star. I was a co-star, um, which is, which is, I, which, and my agents were like hesitant. They were like, we don't want you to do co-star roles. We want you. And I was like, I just want to do roles. This is a job I could get. I know this casting director. He likes me. He will see me. You know, like at that point I was like, I just need to get seen for things. I, I, it was more that that was sort of like my I, I was I, I needed to get indoors. I wasn't being I wasn't able to get into certain doors, and I knew that was a door I could get into. And 
they finally were like, okay, if you really want this, you can have this. And that ended up being Ugly Betty. So like, if I'd listened to them, if I'd still, if I'd continued to listen to them, um, I wouldn't have gotten it. That's so, and then was it after the pilot that, that you were told, oh, actually this, this guy will be coming back. Yeah, well, uh, you know, in the script, like, it, it, even though it was it was a co-star, you know, and like in, in, in a TV show, the co-star is usually the person who's like, he went that away. You know, that's usually or or are you having wine with dinner? You know, that, that's usually what a co-star is in a TV show. This guy had a lot more to say. I had a, I had a couple of scenes and and I appeared a lot. Um, I played Vanessa Williams assistant and um, I was there usually when she was there. So I had like some good stuff. Um but they had this idea that she would have a new episode, a, a, a new assistant every episode. Mm. So like that she was so impossible to work for, she would fire them or they would get, they would quit or whatever. So, um, so I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't like holding my breath at all. And, and also I knew it might not get picked up. So, but, but, um, but Vanessa was immediately kind to me. I think she was taken with me. And I think she uh, she liked what I was doing and 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 liked that, like it, it like like if, if we were both funny, it made us funnier together. And um, and I was actually doing I had this idea that I would like kind of emulate her because I was usually standing behind her. And I had this idea that like whatever she would do, I would do. So mm. if she went like this, I would go like this. And um, and there was some makeup or, or hair person who told on me, she didn't know I was doing it because I was behind her. And some like hair or makeup person was like, Vanessa, do you know what that queen's doing? And she was like, what? And they're like, he's, he's, do, he's imitating you behind you. And she came over to me and she was like, I hear you're imitating me behind me. What else can I do that you can imitate? Instead of like saying, <laughs> stop that, which she very, very well could have and would have every right to, she said, how can we do more of that? I like what you're doing. I want more. How can how can I help you help me? And 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 then she would say things like, "If you stand closer to me, you'll be in this shot." So like she knew where the cameras were and she knew where to stand to make sure she was in that, that I was in. So like she like so she really took me under her wing. And by the end of the shoot, the end of the pilot shoot, they called me in on a day I was not shooting to be in the cast photo. And that was the day I was like, "This might work out." This yeah. this might this might happen, but I had no contract, so um, you know I, I was just a co-star. You know, usually when you do a pilot, you sign your life away for the next seven years, and um, I did not have that. So when they picked up the show, um, it was very exciting. They picked me up for all episodes, but it took a long time before I was like re- before I had the r- appropriate credit and before you know I was I was making any kind of like comparable money to everyone else or anything like that. Uh, I mean, still more money than I'd ever seen in my life, but, uh, but it was, uh, it was an interesting, I had a very different experience than everyone else on the show because they all had deals and, you know, and also they, there were, there were some other people who were as inexperienced as I was, but we, we had, you know, Vanessa Williams and, and, um, Judith Light and Tony Plana, who was this like uh, character actor forever, who'd been on every single show. And then there was like me and Becky Newton, who, you know, Becky Newton and I had been in nothing. And and we were like grabbing onto each other, just holding on for dear life. That is like, that's a, that's a fairy tale. 
It, it, I mean, it, it was like the, 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 what happened was what everyone told me would never happen. Everyone said, you know, go get your co-star roles, but don't ever think anything will come of them. Or don't ever think that a guest star, you know, if you have a guest star role, don't ever expect it to recur and, or, or whatever. And, and I had this, like this, and so much of it was Vanessa. I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't stress that enough. So much of it was her grace and smarts. I mean, she knew that we would be better together than apart. She was right. Before that, what were the conversations you had with your reps and with your friends and even and with yourself about um, outness and your own sexuality and how much to hide it or not hide it as an actor? Yeah, I, um, you know, it, it was very clear early on in TV uh, and film that people weren't seeing me um, any other way. Um, and I wasn't telling anyone. I, would, I mean, I, 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 I told my agent. I had a really cool agent when I first got out of school. I told her. Um, I don't know that I told my managers. Or maybe I, 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 maybe they. But everyone just assumed. You know, they just sort of assumed I was. I, had a, I did have a manager once. When I was just getting out of school, there was this manager who was like a real like shark. Who had already snatched up two of my classmates. And... Um, and 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 he saw me in a show at the end of Juilliard and he took me for coffee and I knew him socially like he'd been around and I took he took me for coffee and he was like he was like I never thought about you as like potential client but then I saw you in that show and you were just so great I'm just not sure I'm just not sure there's going to be anything for you I'm not sure I can do anything for you uh because I can't remember the code word he used it might have been light you know, that was a word that was bandied about a lot in the early aughts as code for gay. It might have been light, um, but but I knew what he was saying. And I knew what he was getting at and he knew I knew what he was getting at. And I was like, I was like, well, like what what is it that I do that that comes off that way? And he said, uh, you know, like that, like what you just did. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think we're I don't think we're a match. <laughs> I don't think this is going to work. And and and, you know, he wasn't going to work with me anyway. And it was going to be a miserable experience. And I think I didn't know it clearly at the time, but it became clearer to me that like, if I don't embrace this and I don't, if I don't accept uh, playing gay characters, queer characters, um, I'm not going to (laughs) work. I'm not going to get any jobs. And, and the only way to like, become established is to get jobs. I had a casting director early on say, you're not going to get cast until you get typecast. And, and, you know, we all got out of school. We're Juilliard. We thought we were all chameleons. We can do anything. We got out of school and we said, we just don't want to get pigeonholed. We just don't want to get typecast. But like, you got to get typecast if you want to get cast. It's true. It's a, it was, it was a great, it was a really great piece of advice. Don't be afraid of getting typecast. And at the time there was still like, you know, there was still uh, a stigma and nobody was out except for Ellen and, uh, you know, not nobody, but 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 most people weren't out uh, and certainly not like 
there's certainly, well, there's, you know, there's no A-listers out. Um, and, and so when I was on Ugly Betty and I was suddenly like on in magazines and stuff right away, I mean, from the pilot, we shot the pilot in like March and in September we were all famous. It was so fast because that TV machine, that network TV machine yeah. is still quite fast. But then it was, you know, even faster. There was no cable. I mean, I think I think Mad Men came on the air while we were in our second season. And that was like, oh, whoa, cable. <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. there had been HBO, but there wasn't like a whole lot of other stuff. There certainly wasn't streaming. Um, and really you really could get major major numbers on network television and 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 everyone was aware of those shows now i mean you watch you turn on network television and it's like what i never even heard of this show uh whereas so so like suddenly i was like i got to make a decision about this and and my reps all said don't don't say anything just just play play, play keep it, keep mum about it and i did for a couple of years I just wouldn't talk about it. I mean, everyone assumed, and I didn't. I didn't deny anything. I didn't lie and say that I was straight, um, but I didn't talk about it. And it limited the things I could talk about. And I was doing so much press. And then when I got, um, it was between, it was it was it was between seasons. I did a play uh, in New York where I played a gay character, and I was like, and 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 everyone had said you can play one gay character, but that's it, you know. You have to, and then you can only play straight characters. And I was like, once I got my second big gay role, I was like, well, this is totally different. This isn't the same thing at all. All these years, I thought I was going to get typecast as gay, but that's not a type. Gay is so many things. Queer, there's so many ways of being queer. Like I'm playing a now here I am playing a, a gay another gay character that it couldn't be further from the character I play on Ugly Betty. And and that it took that for me to realize that 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 was not going to be my problem. My problem. I may have other problems, but that was only going to help me. And as soon as I was like out and 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 it was clear that I was totally happy to play gay roles, I worked all the time. I was able to get jobs. You know, I was able to get lots of jobs. And um, and if I had if I had if I had limited myself from playing gay characters, uh, that that just wouldn't have happened. Right. What let's, was your dating life? To, oh no! Please oh, go ahead, Dave. Well, I was just going to say, let's go. Let's go back to high school because it seems like yeah. the the Plano yeah. High School Drama Club was a gay activist group. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> well, what you was, know, Michael Benjamin Washington was one of the first people I ever talked to about those feelings that I had, and I right. had girlfriends in high school and and after high school, and 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 you know, like really liked them it, it was just there was not there was always a, something missing and for a long time i had girlfriends and boyfriends um but it was not you know there was a, it, I, I didn't know true devotion uh until really until my partner now ryan um i didn't know what like like you know that 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 true like feeling of like i want this and I'm I'm devoting my entire self to you. I was always with men and women. I was always like, I don't want to commit. I don't want to commit. You know, I, I want to play the game. And and certainly when Ugly Betty came on and I was like, and 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 I was getting a lot of attention. That was that was something I'd never really had before. Like I, you know, in high school and in college, I was never. You know, there were always like these really hot guys that were getting all the attention from boys and girls. And suddenly, when I was like famous, I mean, it wasn't very, 
it wasn't exactly a healthy amount of attention, but it was like, it was attention and I wanted to play that out. Um, but yeah, in high school, like there was a gay guy in my high school that, um, was gorgeous and like, he wasn't in drama though. I didn't, I didn't know him. I just knew of him and he, he was super handsome. He was super fit and dressed and nobody messed with him. But there was a thing about our high school, like it was so big. There was so many, I mean, we were on a campus of 3000 students that there wasn't really bullying. I mean, I'm sure there was within the cliques, you know, there was like, like within the, the groups, there was like, there was like, like built bullying within, but it wasn't like there was the cool kids and the popular kids because there were just so many kids. So you really could kind of fly under the radar, you know, and that gay, that gay guy, like, I remember hearing people say, if he brings a guy to prom, I'm going to beat the shit out of him. But like, he didn't want to go to prom. He was way too cool for prom. He was way ahead of everybody else. Um, and and I remember there being like, you know, and, and, and at these speech tournaments, I would go and like we would meet all these other people. And I remember like, like flirtations and, you know, hooking up occasionally and, uh, you know, in hotel rooms and stuff like that. And it was it, we were able to sort of keep it under the radar. But like it was Texas and it, there was still like a major stigma on on being gay. And I had an older sister. My, I have an older sister uh, who is also queer. She's married to a woman, and uh, and 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 she was not, you know. Whereas I was able and comfortable dating girls in high school, she was not comfortable dating boys. Um, and so, and she was, and she went through all this even earlier than I did in the early nineties. So I, I, I watched her go, th- and then she came out to me when I was 14, I think. I think I was like 14 and she was 20, 21, and in college. And she came out to me and, and, and I came out to her and, and, um, and I had watched her, exp- you know, like I watched her be out and proud, kind of. And, you know, like she got her car keyed for having a, a, a pink triangle on the, on the bumper. And she got fired for telling somebody... She didn't date men. And, you know, I watched this happen to her in Texas. And, and it definitely, like, it, 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 it and, and that was, like, I mean, I was in drama. So, like, I was in a much safer place than she was um, in, in, I mean, she was in, like, women's sports. So that's also a pretty safe space, I guess, for a lesbian. <laughs> but, like, uh, but, you know, arguably. But, but like, you know, I w- where she was, like, sort of wearing it and I was sort of, still hiding it, I guess you would say, or, or, or letting it be a flair for dramatics. I was sort of like mis- displacing my queerness then as like, just, I just, I just, I just love Bernadette Peters. How could you sure. not, you know, <laughs> when, when, you know, when I really, I really wanted to be Bernadette Peters. Um, <laughs> um, not, not, you know, not just fantasize about her. So, um, yeah, so so but but d- d- having her pave the way definitely helped certainly my family. I mean, by the time I came out, my family was super cool about it. Um I think it was harder for them with her in in in, in great part because they were scared of what might happen to her. You know, I remember when my sister's car got keyed um and I remember my dad saying it's because of that pink triangle on the back of your car. And I remember being really scared by that. And I remember when my, my sister had this job and her boss asked her out on a date and, and she said, I don't date men. And then she got fired. 
And I remember that being a really scary thing um, for the whole family. So, um, you know, that was that was in 93, 4. Um, you know, it was a, it was a different time. But I also remember the, the whole the whole family sitting down together and watching Ellen come out on her show and how special that was and how moving that was mm-hmm. and, and how, you know, at that moment. We all knew, like, we're cool. This is okay. We're gonna, we're gonna be fine, no matter where we all end up. I mean, I don't remember how old I was when that happened, but you know, my sister and I knew that our parents would have our backs. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. And how old and were you what, when you came out to them? Yeah. I was in my, you know, because I was dating. I think I was in. I was like twenty-four, maybe. 24, 25. I mean, I was, I, I, I don't think it was a surprise. Um, you know, there had been boys that had come by that I think had been pretty clearly not just my buddy. Um, and, uh, but I had also, you know, like there were girls that would come by and my parents, you know, I think they would get excited about that. Um, and, 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 I, and, you know, I, I, they were great. I love the, I love those women. And, um, uh, but, but it, and it was pretty easy. I mean, I, they also, I think, you know, like I was already like acting. I was like, it was, I was definitely out of Juilliard. So I was acting. And, and I think by the, but once I got out of school, I think they were really concerned that I wouldn't find a way in, in, in business or whatever. Uh, and once I did, uh, I think they sort of like, they stopped worrying about me. Um, and it was, it was really about the worrying for them that they, they didn't want me to get hurt. They didn't want me to like, you know, be sad or get sick or, you know, there was all those stigmas that, that they were afraid of for their queer kid. And once, once I like was able to like get, make my own money and I didn't need their money anymore. Um, things were much, much easier. They were able, they were just, they didn't worry about me. Right. I, I, so the one, the, the lone non-drama gay boy from Plano high, where is he now? I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I think his name was Jonathan. A few years ago, uh, I did connect with him. uh, And he seemed to be doing great. But I didn't really know him. I I think he remembered me, um, you know, probably Gaydar. He remembered me. But uh, we 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 were not friends. I did not know him. And... um, Several. This is this is you know more than ten years ago now, probably eleven or twelve years ago now. I was uh, I was developing a, a TV idea, um, a, 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 like a, a reality this a reality show idea where like we would um, we would surprise. I, I can't really remember what the the, 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 the but it, there was some idea where we would like have this guy go back to high school and and surprise everyone uh, with who he had become and. Um, and he was interested, but we never got, and it never went anywhere. And he was, and he was, he was really nice. And, and, and uh, it was kind of exciting for me to reconnect with him because he was always kind of like this, this, you know, enigma to me, this like brave, you know, lone, mm-hmm. um, gay wolf. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in the early ugly Betty years, you're enjoying the, sudden fame you're uh, mm-hmm. dating a lot as you said n- nothing really serious because you were just kind of having fun yeah um how did you and your partner meet 
So we actually met at the beginning of the Ugly Betty thing um, through a mutual friend. And um, and the way Ryan tells it, uh, my, our friend said, our mutual friend said, oh, you got to meet my friend Michael. Um, he thinks you're cute. And Ryan Googled me. And the first thing that came up was some promotional shot from Ugly Betty where I'm wearing like some ridiculous purple, bright, feathery, you know, and I'm yeah, doing yeah. some, and he's like, Ugh, not the, <laughs> what? Um, um, and, but he, you know, we, 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 we spoke on the phone and we had a date planned and a friend of mine died. Um, tragically, uh, she'd been sick for a while, but like she passed and I was just so upset that I canceled the date. And, um, and that sort of like, uh, you know, Ryan, Ryan understood, but, I, but I never really like called him back. And uh, a few years went by um, and, and we met again through a different mutual friend. And, and, and the truth is, like, I, 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 you know, when I canceled, I, I, I was interested in going on a date with him. But, you know, it was probably best that we didn't because I was in this phase where I was dating a lot of people. And I, if I'd gone on a date with him, I probably wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have been open to a, a relationship. And the, then, you know, two years later... Um, when we met up again, um, I had, I was in LA at the time and I'd come back to New York cause they moved all of ugly Betty to New York and he moved to New York. So we were both, I was back in New York and he was in New York for the first time. And it was a different mutual friend, which I think made a difference. And it just like clicked immediately. I think he was hesitant to meet up. He was like, yeah, I remember that guy. I know he, his friend died and. Uh, you never know, rescheduled and then and then and then um it sort of happened by chance we we ended up meeting up by chance through this mutual friend and uh our friend was late and it was just us for a while and we and and we hit it off immediately and basically that night got together um emotionally yeah. uh he went home that night but he didn't go home the next night mm -hmm. nice yeah. And the mutual friend did show up on the first date. So you did she eventually have that. showed up. Yeah, she eventually showed up and we hung out together and then she right. left. And, and Ryan and I were alone. Yeah. And you still and, are. And now you are quarantined. <laughs> <laughs> now we're very much tied to each other and trapped together, literally. So how how are you navigating that? Like you know, how do you how do you find your alone time, or do you? Well, you know, these help. We can really like plug in. Um, we we're mm -hmm. both able to plug in. We're both we you know. There's a lot of things we 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 end up doing a lot of projects together. I think because uh, you know, in part because we're good at that, and we've we've like shown people we're good at that, so they ask us to do that together. Um, but we also have things that we do separately. So it's really nice to like, you know, plug in uh, and I'll go to one side of the apartment, he'll go to the other and, and we can really like get into our own worlds and, um, and, 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 and have our alone time that way. Um, but we're not tired of each other. I mean, you know, like, like we, we do, we do like bicker, at, we'll bicker and, and, and there are a few things that are like looming, like, you know, like for everyone, like what happens next? You know, like there's a lot of like, 
you know, if we don't work for dot, 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 then what do we do? You know, like there's those big questions that we don't really like talking about, but that'll inevitably come up. Um, and that gets tricky. But like right now, it's the little things, you know, it's like, it's like two weeks ago, we ordered, we decided to order a record player and a bunch of records because we're in our apartment all the time and let's get into vinyl. And great. Uh, right. I mean, why not? And what's and in, what's in me... heavy rotation in your house? Well, they, this is the problem. The record player hasn't arrived yet. And oh, it was oh, like, la- it was supposed to get here by 9 PM last night. And at eight fifty nine, Ryan got an email saying that it, it, it hadn't been shipped yet. And we were so shipped. like, we've been waiting for two weeks for this fucking thing. And, and like, it was so upsetting. So like, it's like, like stupid little things like that that'll send us down on these downward spirals where we're like, God, sure. that's, that's all we wanted to do. And we have all the, re- like all the records arrived. We've got all these great records, so, but nothing to talk us through them Well, well, what, what'd you I, get? I, I don't remember them all because we've been leaving them in the packaging because uh-huh. we want to open them at once. But I know like we got, Christmas. like it's Christmas. I know we got, um, we got Simon and Garfunkel's uh, Sound of Silence album. Great. Uh, we got Barry Manilow's Trying to Get the Feeling album. Mm, fine, fine, I'm a fine choice. Massive, massive fan of And we got, uh, oh, the original cast recording of Company. Oh, we tried to think of like, I know, amazing, right? Dean Jones. Killing it. Killing we tried it. to think of things that were gonna, that were like meant to be listened to on vinyl. So like, you know, we wanted like, um, um, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass, one of the uh, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass albums. Things that like, yeah. like you just know that somebody got high and listened on headphones and said, "That's the take, that's the one," and yeah. and and like they was meant to be listened on vinyl, and and like it'll it'll just like we'll hear we'll hear it all anew. And it all happened yes. because I went down this Sammy Davis Jr. rabbit hole because I love Sammy Davis Jr. so so much, and I've been playing we've been playing a lot of like crooners at dinner. Um, we'd sit down to have dinner and put Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin, um, Ella Fitzgerald, like these like standards. And, and I'm, I, I, Sammy is my favorite. And I was like, I need to hear Sammy the way Sammy heard Sammy. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure one of those albums is, is a Sammy Davis Jr. album. And there's a Barbara Streisand yeah. album, just like these, you know, these people who are making music when vinyl was like, was it. Yeah. If you really want to go deep on a record and treat it like a Netflix binge watch or, or like a great book, Tusk. Yeah. Tusk. What is Tusk? Fleetwood Mac's follow-up oh. to Rumors. Oh, great. It's a double album. It's, it is the sound of them losing their minds on cocaine, um, becoming paranoid <laughs> about and around each other. It's, it's like a more disturbing listen than Rumors, but it's... It's wild. It is. It's not. It. Yeah, it's not Tusk. easy to listen to, but it's. It is something to get lost in, like a really good book. Oof. I'm. I'm writing it down. Because that's that's exactly the kind of thing. That's exactly the kind of recommendation we've been looking for. Great. Happy to provide it. So, Michael, this episode will come out on Friday, the fifth, which is great. Is that the night of the first Pride play? That's right. That's the night okay, of brave great. smiles. Yeah. Yeah. So t- tell the people what what uh, what to expect. So Pride Place is a festival that we started last year at the Rattlestick Theater, uh, and it was a five day 
festival of uh, 19 play readings of queer plays from uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, it began as uh, a celebration of World Pride, which because uh, last year was the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, and the Rattlestick Theater approached me and my producing partners about putting something together uh, for Pride. And we thought, well, maybe it's a series of readings uh, that sort of tell the history of, of, um, of theatrical Pride in the last 50 years. But we learned very quickly that if, if you look back at the history of really anything but, but also queer theater, it's really told by white men. And while we wanted to honor all of the amazing white male playwrights who sort of got us here, we also wanted to, uh, we, we didn't want to ignore um, all the other colors in the rainbow uh, and letters in the, in, in, in the alphabet that uh, make up the queer community now. And so, so what, what we thought might be four readings became 19 so that we could incorporate all the, the, all the beautiful people in the, in the community. And also we decided we wanted to do a lot of new plays because we felt like... Um, we felt like there's a like we wanted to kind of write a representation wrong that we felt had been happening in in the industry, and that is that like in the same way that I when I realized I wasn't being typecast as gay because there's so many different kinds of gay, I, uh, the same thing kind of happens with plays. You know, a theater. And by the way, there is no uh, there is no lack of queer representation in the theater. I do not. Uh, that is certainly not. Um, that's not the case but um, there are uh, there is this sense that like queer plays get lumped together or get put in the same pile um or category uh and 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 that was frustrating to us i understand why i understand why it's a box that 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 programmers and producers and stuff will tick because you know oh that's a queer play put it over there but like you know we're doing a play that's about uh, we're doing a in this festival this year. We're doing a farce about a lesbian wedding, uh, and we're doing a play about a Syrian a, guy, a gay man in Syria who is who is dragged to a roof and and given one last reprieve before being thrown off of this roof. So like, you can't compare those two plays. Uh, I mean, yes, they're both about queer people, but like, you wouldn't program you wouldn't decide to program the play about the wedding instead of the play about the roof. It's just like there's no comparing them. So, um, so that was a, like a, a general programming wrong we wanted to write. We also wanted there to be an opportunity for um, a more um, a, a, a more middle of the road um, experience for queer actors. You know, it's uh, it's it's hard to get your foot in the door of show business at all. Um, but it's also I, I started to to, to notice myself. You know, I kept um, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, who I adore and is a very good pal of mine. We kept circling each other like something would be written for him and I would get it. I would end up getting it because he couldn't do it or, or he, he would step in when I had to step out of something. Like, and, and I kept thinking, why are we why? Why did Jesse and I keep following each other like this? We're so different or I feel like we're so different. But I get it. Like we're both funny we both have been on tv and we're both like we do theater so i get i can see i was like okay i understand why this is happening but there's so many more of us than just me and jesse 
And, uh, and we're at this sort of level. I mean, granted, there's like a glass ceiling for us too. You know, like there are no queer movie stars. Uh, so like there's definitely like a glass ceiling for people who do work um, and that are out and that play a lot of gay characters. But I thought there's that like the, it's harder. It's hard to get into the, the level that we're in uh, if we haven't like already been on TV. And and so we were hoping that Pride Plays could be both for the playwrights and for the actors, um, an opportunity to like do to represent themselves and to share in a community. So um, it was really fun. It was really successful. We we had over two hundred artists participate. Uh, we did 19 readings in five days. And this year we were going to do the same, only a little bit more. Um, and we were all programmed and ready to announce when the pandemic hit. So we had a choice to make. We could either postpone. Um, and, and for a while we thought we would postpone uh, until the theaters reopened and we would be the first ones back. But uh, as, it, as, it, as, as, as the pandemic dragged on, it seemed like being the first ones back was... An experiment we didn't really want to put our artists through um and the rattlestick is an amazing venue but it's it's tiny and you know is it going to be a place we want to pack um a week after the quarantine is lifted i just don't think so so we decided to go online and we partnered with playbill.com and um we, we chose a lot of plays we had to sort of shrink our list um so we're doing 11 workshops of plays um, on Zoom that are put, putting uh, playwrights with great directors and getting them amazing casts and they spend they get to spend you know about 30 hours rehearsing and presenting a play to whomever they want it's private uh, it's not for the public uh, it's really just like a work a, 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 a developmental workshop and then every Friday night in June we're doing um Performances. We're doing. We're putting on a little show, um, and um, the the first one is Brave Smiles, uh, 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 another lesbian tragedy by the five lesbian brothers, who are uh, this these incredible women, these five women who used to write and perform together, and um, they're reuniting to perform this play, which is was a big hit for them. Um, and Lee Silverman is directing that. That's the first Friday. The second Friday is a, is a new play by Danya R. Love called One and Two that was just done at the new group that is about, um, about the AIDS epidemic and how it, um, uh, how, how it, it uh, disproportionately affects the African-American community, um, which we're seeing in this plague as well. Um, and then the third play is a, is a new play by a not, this wonderful non-binary writer called M.J. Kaufman called Masculinity Max that's about a trans man reacclimating himself into his family. And then the fourth play is Mart Crowley's sequel to Boys in the Band, Men from the Boys, which is this, the characters from Boys in the Band 30 years later. Uh, and Zach Quinto, who was in the revival of Boys in the Band and who's going to be in the movie, the upcoming movie of Boys in the Band, is directing that for us. So um, that's really cool because it's never been done in New York. It's, it's been done. It's a really great play. It, it, it basically brings all these characters back together in the same place and sort of relitigates old, old wounds. And, and, uh, um, and it's really cool to see them older. Um, 
And then the final thing that we're doing for Pride is the, 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 the final Sunday, the, the day of the, that would have been the Pride Parade in New York. We're doing a, a musical theater spectacular where we, where we uh, um, great musical theater artists from their home will record great musical theater songs about queerness and we'll string them together. And John McDaniel from the Rosie O'Donnell show is our music, musical director and we have some very exciting people already lined up. And that should be a really cool, a really cool night. So it's a lot of work. Oh man. Sounds like it. And, and, and how do people just go to playbill.com or how, yeah, how do we? So it, it's all happening on playbill.com. So, uh, the, 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 there'll be like links to stream. It's all, you know, yeah. through their, their, their YouTube channel and things like that, but it'll be really simple. Just check out playbill.com on Fridays and they'll be there. Excellent. Michael, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me guys. It's such a uh, busy moment. Yeah, well, uh, it, it, it's, you know, it's like, it's, I'm, again, I'm so happy to be busy and it's such a relief and to like have something to focus on. And I don't know what will happen at, in July when this, when we get through Pride Plays. I think I will have a great sense of like accomplishment and relief. Um, but my producing partner yesterday said, I said something like, what happens in July, Doug? And he was like, you mean the dark at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> because I feel like July will come and we'll still have so few answers about the theater and about what's what's going to happen in show business. But um, but we will have made something that we're really proud of. Yeah, we can't wait to see it. Playbill.com, folks. Yeah, check us out. I mean, Michael, thank you. At long last, and so worth the wait. Oh well, thank you. It's been, it's been, it's been. I've been looking forward to this for uh, oh, the last good. couple of weeks. Yeah, oh, and, excellent. And, yeah, I, I can't wait to hear it. And although well, I don't know if I can listen to myself tell all these damn stories again, um, <laughs> but but I hope it's not great. Else. Just take our word on it. <laughs> take care of yourself. Thank you. You too. Be, be well. Stay safe.